What up, what up? How's everybody doing this morning? Discover Church, it's good to see you. Welcome to Discover Church. It's so good to see you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jernigan. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. Thank you for spending part of your Sunday with us. Uh, everybody having a good weekend so far? Enjoy a rainy Saturday? Yeah. Uh, well, man, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, we've got a lot of new faces with us over the last several weeks, and so, man, I'm so glad that uh, whatever it was, however you heard about us, I'm thankful that you're here. Uh, man, here's the deal. Chris alluded to this just a second ago, but, but man, we, we want you to know that we, we don't want to just be um, fellow participants of an event that you attended. We believe that life is hard and life is difficult, and so we want to we be a part of a family that you feel like you can be a part of. Uh, and so if you've not had a chance yet, I mean, maybe you've heard us talking about this thing called the Next Steps course. I mean, if you've not had a chance to get connected with that yet, I want to encourage you to do that. Get connected with Next Steps. Um, it's an opportunity where we're going to walk with you for four weeks just to get to know you, equip you for the next step that you might have. Maybe it's a next step with us as a church. Maybe it's a next step in your walk and relationship with God. But we want to walk with you and help you understand what those next steps are um, so that you can have clarity for what God wants for you. Today, we're going to continue in week three of our series called I'm Losing My Religion. And today uh, is a message that is for anybody who has ever been a place where you felt like um, that, that, that you just wanted to walk away from it. Maybe for you, it was, uh, maybe you were raised in church. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a Christian home um, and, and you were raised to believe in God, believe in Jesus, believe in the church, believe in the Bible. Um, but something happened and, and you just decided, man, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about any of it anymore. And, 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 and you get to a point of go, well, what, what do I do if I don't really feel it? What do I do if I don't really believe in it anymore? Matter of fact, the title of the message today is, is but what if I don't feel it? anymore. Oftentimes when it comes to faith and, and matters of faith, um, there, there, there's such a, a connection, there's such a feeling to it. In fact, a lot of you, if you grew up in church, if you have had any kind of uh, walk with faith uh, with God in any way, um, then it's probable that you have had some sort of uh, what people like to call a mountaintop experience. All right, a mountaintop of experience is that moment when, um, when you feel like you have an encounter with God and, and, and God and Jesus just seem so close. It's, it's that moment where, where maybe like the light bulb clicked or your eyes were open to see who Jesus really is. Or, or, or maybe, it was, maybe it was a moment that happened when you were a kid in Sunday school class and you sang the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. And I'm not going to sing anymore. That's all you get. Amen. Uh, maybe it was something that happened when you were a teenager. Maybe you went to youth camp or, or maybe it was when you got saved or you rededicated your life. Or maybe it was a moment that happened when you were in, in just a really deep, dark, broken place and God showed up and met you there. But whatever that mountaintop experience is, if you've had that moment, then you know how sweet it is. You know how good it is. You know how, how amazing it is when you're in that place and, and you don't want to leave it. You don't want to leave that moment because it's, it, it's, like, it's like water to a dry and thirsty soul that that, that that moment with God is so satisfying in a way that, that maybe you've never experienced before. And if you're here today and you've never had that kind of experience, man, I just want to tell you that God wants, God wants to bring you to a mountaintop moment so that you can get a glimpse of who he really is because he's different than probably what you've been led to believe that he is. 
What's true about the mountaintop experience is that eventually, if you've had one, um, then you know that you can't, you can't stay there. Eventually, you have to come down off the mountain. You got to get back to everyday life. And what happens when you get back to everyday life, what happens in, in the day, the week, the months that follow can sometimes be really disorienting. Because you had this mountaintop experience with God. You had this moment where it all seemed real and it, and it didn't just seem like, you know, crazy people talking about their imaginary friend. Like it, it seemed real, it seemed tangible to you. But when you got back into the real world, well, it wasn't all sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns anymore. And what happens for a lot of people when you have that experience, that mountaintop experience with God and you get back into the real world, the difference between what you experience with God on that mountain and what you encounter on the day to day is very different. And it causes people sometimes to believe, well, God, where are you? God, what happened? You see, God, I thought, like, I began to kind of get in line and follow this whole God thing when I was in that moment, and it all seemed so real, it all seemed so good, it all seemed, it all seemed so, so, so like, it, like nothing could go wrong, nothing bad could happen, but now here I am in the, in the day-to-day, and life is happening, and how many of you know life is not always fun? Matter of fact, some of you know that life sometimes just hurts. And it's in those moments, it's just really disorienting. And today I want to bring a message to us today where we begin to, um, uh, to, to, to dissect and begin to understand the, 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 how we process the dynamic of the difference between what we encountered on that mountaintop and what we experience on the day-to-day. For some of you, Sunday morning is your mountaintop. I mean, you're here with a bunch of people and we get to sing uh, these beautiful songs at the top of our lungs and the person next to you can't hear you and it doesn't matter. You can just sing as loud as you want to. Praise God, I believe that's what it's gonna be like in heaven. I'll tell you right now, you do not wanna be next to me in heaven. There's a reason why there's not many people that sit next to me in the front row. I chase them away with my beautiful vocals. But how do, we, how do we deal with the dynamic of this, of this dissonance between the moment that we experience on the mountain and what happens day to day? And, and here's the deal. This is a truth that's difficult for us to understand. The reality of it is, is we weren't designed to live on the mountaintop. We like to experience the mountaintop moment. God, God gives us opportunity if we genuinely seek him with our, with our whole heart. He tells us in Jeremiah that if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. And God wants us to have those mountaintop moments, but what's hard for us to stomach at times is the reality that we were never designed and created to live and to stay on the mountain. God gives us opportunity and moments where we can experience the mountaintop because we were designed to live in the valley. Because in the valley is where everyone else says, and what we experience on the mountain, God wants us to take to the valley to tell other people about who he is and what he's about. Today, I want to talk to you about what I believe is one of the more um, honest uh, expressions about this frustrating dynamic of being a follower of Jesus. We're going to read today some of the writings of the Apostle Paul. Paul had uh, wrote most of the New Testament. He's, he's a hero of the faith. 
And we come across something that's really interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And that's where we're going to be most of the day today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then we're also going to land in, in Psalm 13. So if you want to kind of go ahead and work ahead and get ready. But if not, man, we're going to, we're going to have the verses on the screen. Um, and so we're going to dive in. If you're with me today, let me hear you say, I'm with you. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. What's going to happen in 2 Corinthians 12 is a little weird um, because Paul r- opens this part of uh, this, this passage in a really weird way because he begins, he doesn't refer to himself, but he's talking about himself. And it's going to make sense as we dive into it. Um, and, and the reason why, I'll explain the reason why he does this in just a minute, but let's just dive in. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, and it says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, but God knows, such a one was caught up in the third heaven. Now, what is the third heaven? Sometimes we see this in scripture and, and we don't know what this is. And in those times, the, the way that they thought about the universe and the atmosphere was in these layers of, of three heavens. The first heaven is the heaven that we're in. The birds fly in. We breathe the oxygen of the first heaven. The second heaven is the sun, the stars, the galaxies, the universe. And the third heaven is the presence of God. It's the throne room of God. So when he talks about into the third heaven, he's given an opportunity to, to kind of get transported somehow and given a glimpse of to what's going on in, in, in the third heaven, in, the, in, the, in the, um, the throne room of God and what's happening on God's side of heaven. All right, that's what's going on here. He says, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. He's not talking about cuss words. Um, he, he's talking about things that are, that are, that are too beautiful and too great um, that, that, that the rest of humanity is not ready to, to understand and, and, and capture a hold of what he saw in, when he was in heaven. Verse five, and then, and then now he's going to explain the reason why he's talking this way. He says, for of, uh, of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast. So he's saying, listen, I, I'm going I'm to brag about this encounter that somebody had, but I'm not going to brag about myself. All right, and what he's trying to do is just trying to say, listen, um, I got to do something that none of y'all got to do. <laughs> and so he's trying not to brag about it, but he's just trying to give an example of, of an experience that he had. He said, but I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears me to be. All right. So basically what's going on is Paul's like, listen, I had this incredible opportunity to go up to heaven and see what God is doing up there. And the things that I saw, the things that I heard are so great and so amazing. It would actually violate the law of God for me to tell you about all of it. He goes, and I'm going to talk really weird because I don't want you to, it's not about me, it's about the experience. And, and so he's explaining this mountaintop experience. He, he, he's explaining that, that he's had this incredible encounter, this incredible opportunity, this moment where quite literally him and God were so close that he could see him. Now that's an incredible experience. I can't tell you how many times where I've been like, God, I just, I just wish that I could, I could be closer to you. I wish that I could, if, if I could understand more, if I could see more, then I would have more faith and I wouldn't doubt. And, and, and yet, but, but the Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so, so God says, listen, I need you to have some faith. And what's going to happen is, is he's going to now juxtapose, he's going he's to put this mountaintop experience and contrast it 
this once in a lifetime moment, and he's gonna contrast it with the day to day. And as he does, I think that you and I will find some familiarity with what Paul is saying. And the reason why Paul is doing this, it's important that we understand that the point is not to brag about the moment. The point is, as Paul's saying, listen, I understand what this is like. I know what it's like when you have this encounter, but then you come back down off of that moment and things seem, um, un- it's hard to understand what's going on and it seems, it seems difficult, it seems unfamiliar, it seems unfair, it might even seem unloving. And it might even cause you, to, cause you to ask God, where even are you? So he continues in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. He says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. So of all the things that I've seen, unless I should be, you know, super prideful and arrogant about everything that I've seen, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So Paul says, listen, I've had this mountaintop experience and I get it. And now I'm going to tell you what the day-to-day was like because I too had to come off the mountain and experience the day-to-day of having a thorn in my flesh. Now, we don't know what this thorn is, but, but what we know is that this is not something that would have been um, uh, subtle. It's not something that would have been insignificant. This, this is something that would have been painful and hurtful for Saul, it would have been something that would have been blatant and obvious. In the same way that when you have a thorn in your flesh, you have a splinter in your hand, you are very aware of it. You don't just forget about it. We don't know exactly what this thorn was. Um, it's possible a lot of scholars and theologians believe that what Paul is referencing here is his eyesight. There's several indications throughout Scripture that Paul was almost blind by the end of his life. After all, when Paul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, it was a bright shining light. And the experience that tells us that Paul literally had these scales on his eyes and he was blind for several days until the scales were removed. Think about what that would have been like to be able to see, but then to progressively lose your sight. For me, I feel like I can connect and relate to Paul a little bit here. I was six years old when I realized I can't read the stuff that's on on the whiteboard, well, it was a chalkboard back then, on the chalkboard in my first grade class. I went to, went to the doctor and, and they, they, I got glasses. By the time I was 16, I was 16 years old, I was getting a sports physical and, and they tested the eyesight like the old fashioned way, like the, you know, the big letter thing at the end, the big E at the top of it. I knew that it was there because I passed it as I walked in to go to the doctor's office. And so the doctor said, all right, Journey, I want you to stand here, you know, so many feet away. And it's this hall and, and several offices along the side. And at the end of it was a, was a door. And on the door was the, uh, the eye chart thing. I said, okay. Um, she goes, okay, Journey, I want you to take your glasses off. And I want you to read for me the lowest line on the, on the chart that you can see. And so I took my glasses off and I... I laughed. She goes, what's funny? I said, well, here's the thing, doc. I know that I'm standing in a hall and at the end of the hall is a door and on the door is a letter chart and at the top of that chart is the letter E. I can't see the door. She, she said, excuse me? What do you mean you can't see the door? I don't know how else to explain it to you, Doc. I, it's not there. Turns out, I found out a couple of years later, I was legally blind twice over. 
I mean, I had Coke bottle glasses, y'all. And I often think about like, if I would have grown up and been born like a thousand years earlier, I, I, would have, I, would, I, I don't know what I would have done. I'm thankful to have grown up in this time where they had glasses. Eventually at 25, I got LASIK. It changed my life. I got LASIK and for the first time in 15 years, I woke up and I saw the alarm clock. And I could read it. Most of the time I would wake up and hear the alarm clock and just try to find it. So I feel like I can relate to Paul here a little bit. The, 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 the process of continually losing his vision. But whatever the thorn was, we don't know what it was, but whatever the thorn was, we know that it was painful and we know that it was humiliating. I want you to notice how Paul responds to the thorn, 2 Corinthians 12, verse eight. He said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He says, so I've got this thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan sent to buffet me. This word buffet means to, to punch with a fist. And he goes, I didn't like it. And so three different times I cried out, God, where are you? God, why am I having to deal with this? God, I don't like this. God, this is uncomfortable. God, this is painful. God, I, I don't, I don't want to deal. When I was with you on the mountaintop and you allowed me into heaven, I could see perfectly. I could see everything that was going on. But now I'm back here in the day to day and I can't see a thing and I don't like it. It's frustrating. It's humiliating. It's discouraging. God, it's, it's disheartening. God, I know that you are powerful. God, you, you breathed on a pile of dirt and made Adam. There's nothing you can do. God, why will you not remove this thorn from my flesh? I'm just curious. Can you relate to any of that? This thorn in the flesh the practical reality that I, I don't live on the mountain. And that's not where my home is yet. And so he cries out to God, God, would you take this away? Lord, I know that you can and, and I'm frustrated and I'm, and I'm irritated. And here's what happens when we come down off of that mountaintop experience and we experience how the, the, you know, this closeness with God, this fellowship with God, we, 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 we have this light bulb moment and then we come back down into the valley and we begin to feel the thorns pressing against our flesh. It, it, it ultimately leads to a crisis of faith. It leads, it leads to a decision point where, where you're going to decide that the thorn that is in your flesh will either serve as the evidence that causes you to doubt God or it will, it, will, it will be the thing that leads you to a point of understanding how much more you need God. And for a lot of people, who come to the point of, 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 of choosing, God, I need you more. I'm recognized I need you more. These are oftentimes people who are more mature, more seasoned in the faith. Matter of fact, I have yet to meet anybody in my life that I would consider a mature follower of Jesus, meaning, meaning they've walked with Jesus and, and they didn't just, you know, hey, I go to church, so that makes me a Christian. I'm talking about people who have, who have devoted themselves to study God's word and devoted themselves to live in community with other believers and, and, and they devoted themselves to live and follow and trust in Jesus and to orient their life around who he is and what he's done for them. I've never met a person 
who I would describe that way, that when the thorn of the flesh showed up, they actually began to doubt God and walk away from God. I've never met anybody like that. And the reason why is because of all the things that I mentioned, they devoted themselves to the disciplines of growing a closer, intimate relationship with Jesus. But every single time that I've come across somebody or I've counseled somebody or, or I've heard somebody's story who, uh, who eventually walked away from God because of these things that, that, that didn't compute, it didn't reconcile this, this great encounter with God with this painful reality of, of where I am, it, it caused them to, to doubt God. And, and for many people, it caused them to walk away from God. And I'm convinced that the reason for that is that in the earliest stages of our relationship with God, we, we, don't, we don't yet understand how God works. We don't yet understand how, how, how God's ways are and how God is so big and so great and so strong that he doesn't just say, I'm, I, I'm, I'm gonna be the genie that's gonna remove all your problems. He says, no, I'm gonna be the God that's gonna be a foundation that is so sure that no problem can shake me. And so people who are early or young or new in their relationship with God, when the thorn in the flesh shows up, becomes really disheartening. It becomes really disenfranchising. And it causes people to go, man, God, uh, you know, wh wh where are you in this? If you are so good, then why is this happening? And the point of the message today, I hope you hear my heart. The point of the message today is to not be critical if that's you, if that's been your experience, if that's been your story. I just believe that God has sent me here today to help you see a, a, a different glimpse of who God is. Because the problem is, is in your early stage of relationship with God, you will always default to a religion mindset that will tell you that if something bad is happening, if everything is not great, if you're not rich yet, if you're not, if you're not healed yet, if you haven't found Mr. or Mrs. Right yet, if everything in your life isn't a storybook yet, it's because you're not doing enough of the right things. And God, you haven't earned enough of God's love and grace and favor. So keep going and keep doing and keep doing. And what happens is, is it never, ever works. And so people begin to go, I'm done with this. But when you begin to understand that your connection with God is never built or based upon who you are or what you did, but it's built on who he is and what he did and your relationship with him, well, then it begins to change everything because then you begin to go, okay, God, when the, when the thorn shows up, it doesn't become the thing that causes you to doubt God. It actually becomes the thing, go, okay, God, how are you going to work this out? How are you going to show up in my life? So when these things happen, when these thorns in the flesh happen, it catches us off guard, it catches us by surprise, but, but the more that you read God's word, the more that you begin to see that God never intended for us to be caught off guard or surprised by any of this. That God actually tells us again and again and again in his word that, that when you walk through the fires of life, not if, but when, I'll be with you. Peter wrote it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, various issues, various thorns in your flesh. He goes on and he says, why? So that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, it may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
You see, what Peter is saying here is he's echoing a sentiment that's repeated again and again and again through God's word that, that much like gold, when it is refined, it is, it is heated up and the impurities are brought to the surface and then they, they remove the impurities, they scrape it off and they heat it up again and more impurities are removed. And the purpose of it is to, is to make it stronger, to make it better, to make it more pure, to make it more valuable. And what God does in the thorns of our lives, the thorns in the flesh, the things that it's like, oh my God, this hurts. I don't like this. What God does is he takes those things and he uses those things to purge you of all of the impurities, to purge you of all the imperfections, to remove the things, to give you an opportunity to be confronted with the areas where you struggle with your belief so that you can come to the point of saying, God, I don't understand this. God, I don't like this, but I believe what I know about you. I believe what I experienced with you and I believe that you are bigger than this. So God, would you, would you allow my unbelief to be, to be tested, to be tried? Would you allow my unbelief and my doubts and my insecurities and the things that I worry about and every single thing that I have elevated that I worship above you, use this thorn in the flesh to bring it to the surface and knock it off so that my faith can be stronger, more pure, and more valuable to stand the test of time. And Peter's simply trying to say, listen, you got to understand, like, like, yeah, if you have the opportunity to have this mountaintop experience, a moment of salvation, rededication, whatever it is, then God continually tells us, listen, don't be surprised when you come down off the mountain if you start catching some thorns. I just believe that God wants somebody here to know today that those thorns are not the things the evidence that God is not good or powerful or kind. Those thorns are merely the reminder that the time to experience life on the mountain has not yet come. That we have a job to do and where you have the opportunity when you experience the thorn to have a faith in a God who can endure and get you through. That there are thousands of people do not have a faith in that kind of God. And they're trying to get through life and they're trying to navigate the thorn bushes of life all from the mindset, well, if I just do more and be better, then I won't get stuck with the thorns. And so Peter writes this and, and he's, he's trying to help us bring some clarity to what, what Paul is, is experiencing. And so we go back to Paul in 2 Corinthians and so, so, so Paul has cried out three times now, God, would you remove this thorn from the flesh? I want you to see God's response. And here's the deal. This is one of the disorienting things that can cause people to lose their religion. The moments in life when you cry out to God, asking him to do a specific thing, and God's response is, is no, I'm not going to do that thing. I'm going to do a different thing. And you can't see it now, but the different thing is actually a better thing. Notice how God responds to Paul, verse nine. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul cries out to God, God, why am I having to deal with this? 
Maybe you've cried out to God. Maybe you've come off the mountaintop and you've gotten the thorns of life that get stuck in your flesh and it's pressing in and it's hurtful and it's painful and you're crying out, God, where are you? God, if you're so good, if you're so great, if you're so powerful, where are you? Why am I having to endure this? And oftentimes God will respond and say, no, I will not remove that thorn from you. Because what I need you to recognize is that you need my grace more than you need your strength. What? You see, this is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith. It's a, it, it, it's a truth that, that when we can understand it, when we can, when we can wrap our minds around it, it'll change our life. It's a truth that, that the devil of hell never wants God's people to ever understand. That, that the enemy that Brian talked about earlier never wants us to understand the key to accessing God's strength. Because if we can access God's strength, his strength means nothing. If we can access God's strength, then that addiction will be gone. If we can access God's strength, then anxiety and worry and depression will be a thing of the past. If we can access the strength of God from heaven where God dwells, then all of the insecurities and all of the problems and all of the hangups and all of the things that the enemy will use, the thorns in our flesh to, to distract us and to get our mind off of the goodness and the greatness and the power of God and the mission he has called us to, to go help other people get connected to him, if we can ever understand the password, if we can ever understand the key, if we can ever understand the secret to accessing the strength of God, then, then his mission, the devil's mission is over. And so what happens is, is we get in these moments and we cry out to God, God, would you move? God, would you, would you respond? And what we're asking for is we're asking for the power of God and the strength of God to be demonstrated in an area of our life. But we, we oftentimes do not understand or do not want what's required in order to see that power and that strength in our lives. And what God is saying to us today is that the password that unlocks the strength of God is this phrase, I am weak. No, 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 that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense, preacher man, because I, you know, I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta do this. I gotta, I can do this. I'm gonna grit my teeth, I'm gonna bear it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna white knuckle it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna overcome that issue. I'm gonna get through that problem with my boss. I'm gonna, I'm gonna navigate the problem in my marriage. I'm going to do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work my way to my, my wayward child coming back to me. I'm just gonna do it because my identity is wrapped up in it. Ooh. Because it means if my identity is wrapped up in it and I can't do it, then what does it say about me? And that becomes the thing that causes so many people to walk away from God. Because we get caught in this religious mindset that says do, do, do. If I do, I will get. If I do, I will be better. If I do, I will acquire more. I'll be capable of more. The paradox of Christianity is God saying, that's not how I operate. God is saying to us today, I'm not interested 
in you being able to think or twist or manipulate a situation where you can think that you did it. God is saying to us today, I'm not interested in sharing the credit or the glory for the things that I do in your life. And so God responds to Paul, no, Paul, I'm not gonna remove that thorn from your flesh. I want you to notice how Paul responds. Paul responds and he says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. The, the wounds, the illnesses, the hurt, the pain that is caused from the thorn, I'm gonna take pleasure in them and in reproaches and in needs and in persecutions and in distresses for Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul finally got it. So what do we do? How are we supposed to respond and, 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 and how do we navigate the moments when we, we have the mountaintop experience and what is in our mind and what we've come to expect about God and how he operates is challenged by the reality of the thorns in our flesh that God has yet to remove. I wanna make this as practical as I can. I wanna give you two things. The first thing is this, be encouraged. He said, what now? I have a thorn in the flesh. Woohoo! I'm so encouraged. Praise the Lord. Be encouraged. And here's why. Because every single hero of scripture had a thorn that God did not remove. It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. And for every single year of that, there were people who made fun of him and ridiculed him and criticized him. Moses was called by God to lead the children of Israel out of slavery into a promised land. And every step of the way, the very people that God told Moses to lead criticized and complained and, 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 and was irritated. They challenged Moses' authority. And at times, God, God himself was like, that's it, I'm done. And Moses was like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't, don't wipe them out. Jesus himself in the garden of Gethsemane prayed for the father to remove the thorn that was coming. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Do you have a thorn in the flesh? Don't let that be the reason that it causes you to give up on God and, and to walk away from him. Allow it to be the thing that caused you to realize you're in good company because God seems to move with strength in those who have been wounded by the thorn. The second thing I want you to do today is I want you to hold on to Jesus. You say, I don't like that. Holding on to Jesus, what got me into this mess? If I were holding on to Jesus, I wouldn't have this thorn in my side. No, see, here, it, the problem is not Jesus. The problem is you approaching Jesus from the mindset of religion that says it's all about you. Go ahead and lose that religion and hold on to Jesus. What does that look like? Thankfully, God gives us several examples. I want to share with you one, King David. Before he was king, he was a shepherd boy who had defeated Goliath, which 
Brian and I didn't talk about this, but Brian talked about that today. He defeated Goliath and the, and, the, and the people of Israel are shouting like, Saul, the king killed his thousands, but David is 10,000s. David's way better than Saul. Hey, Dave, Saul's in the old, David's in the new, let's go. Saul started going crazy, literally senile. So they heard that David could play a harp. So they bring David into the throne room of King Saul to play harp music while he's trying to fall asleep. On more than one occasion, Saul takes the, the spear and hurls it at David's face. Apparently, he doesn't appreciate harp music. By the time we get to 1 Samuel chapter 21, David is really just kind of beside himself. David is now on the run. He's trying to figure out, God, what did I do? God, you were the one who sent the guy to anoint me to be the next king of Israel. And, and, and you were the one who put me in a position to defeat Goliath. And, and you were the one that put me in the position to, to play the music for King Saul. And you were the one who took me out of the, 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 the field where I was just taking care of my dad's sheep, minding my own business. And now you have put me in a place where I'm connected to a crazy man who is, who is intimidated and, and, and insecure about how crazy he is. He's gonna lose his throne and he hears that I'm going to be the next king and now he's after me and so now David's on the run he's so desperate he goes into the land of the Philistines the very enemies of Israel he gets there and the people recognize him as the guy who killed Goliath David makes his way through and he gets to a cave and when he gets to this cave, he pours out his anger, his frustration, his bitter disappointment. And we see him process the dissonance between the mountain and the mundane. And the hurt he has because of the thorns of somebody chasing after him to kill him, even though he had done nothing wrong. And we find it in Psalm 13. And the first thing David does is he screams out and he yells in frustration. Notice what it says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? How long, God, am I going to have to continue to deal with this? How long? Why am I? What did I do wrong? God, if you're so good, then why am I still having to deal with this? Where are you, God? Eventually, his yells of frustration transition to a cry of desperation. Notice what he says in verse 3. He cries out, consider and hear me. God, would you please, would you just listen to me? Are you even aware of me? God, do you see me? Would you, are my prayers getting past the, the, the ceiling of this cave, God? Oh, Lord, my God, would you enlighten my eyes? Would you open my eyes? Would you give life to me lest I sleep the sleep of death? God, I'm going to die. Do you even care? Then what he does is he, he puts God's credibility on the line. He says in verse four, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against them. 
Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. The reason why we know he's putting God's credibility on the line is because David remembers that that God had anointed him. He had called him to do something very specific, which was to be the next king of Israel. And so David's saying, God, if you don't show up, I'm toast. And not only am I toast, the things you told me to do are toast. It's over. It's not going to happen. And in a point of desperation, not, not the fabricated or manipulated um, like, like, like a child does with, with their parent when they're in trouble and they're trying to, to you know, bypass the consequences and so they start crying. But he is in a true state of brokenness. He's in a true state of desperation. And he's saying, God, I, I need you to show I'm done. This is over. I'm toast. If you don't show up, God, I need you. Second, or first Samuel chapter 22, when, when David is in the cave as he's writing Psalm 13, we see God begin to move. In first Samuel 22, it says, so when his brothers and all his fathers heard it, they went down there to him. David's in a cave by himself. He's crying out. He's frustrated. He's desperate. He's isolated. He's alone. He doesn't just have King Saul, but all the army of Israel looking for his head. And he is so desperate. He has taken comfort in a cave in the presence of his enemies. He says, I'm safer in the country of my enemies whom I killed their hero than I am with my own people. God responds. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And so he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. You see, what happens is as God hears his frustration, and he's not upset by it. God hears the desperation, and he recognizes that now David is finally right where he needs to be so that he can experience the power of God because the the password to unlock the strength of God is I am weak. And David is saying, I am weak, God. And God responds by sending David 400 men. This is the low point in the story of David's life. And from this point, things begin to change. David begins to feel confidence. He begins to feel like God is with him. And he moves out of this cave and he begins to go. He's still kind of ducking and hiding, but he begins to do so with much more boldness and much more confidence. David is experiencing the power of God. that God did not unleash until David was weak. And Psalm 13 ends, it begins with frustration, it continues with desperation, but it ends with a declaration. Notice what it says. But I have trusted in your mercy and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Knows, Paul, I will not remove that thorn from your flesh because when you are weak, then I am strong. Okay, God, then I will boast in my weakness because in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. Can I just say, 
One of my prayers over the last year, because I've never felt more weak as a leader and less in control of anything than I have in the last year. And God brought me to this in, in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians 12. And my prayer has been, God, if it's when I am weak that you are strong, then may I never be strong a day in my life. Why? Because it's when I'm weak that I begin to see his strength. Have you experienced a thorn in your side? Did it hurt? Did it frustrate you? Maybe it disoriented you to a point that you just decided to give up on all of it. I don't know your story. I don't know what you've dealt with. I don't know all that you carry with you into this place. Maybe you're here today and, and for whatever reason you decided to give it one more shot. What do we do? We're not feeling it anymore. When God feels distant. When what I experience on the mountain doesn't square with my experience in reality. Here's what you're gonna do, you're gonna do two things. You're gonna be encouraged because you're gonna know that you're in good company. And you're gonna let go of religion because it's never gonna help you. And you're gonna hold on to Jesus. And as you hold on to Jesus, here's what you're gonna realize, that Jesus has never stopped holding on to you. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church Podcast. Thanks for listening.